Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Broadway Podcast Network presents Giants in the Sky, how Sondheim and Lapine went into the woods, with me, Ben Rimmelauer. Today's guest, Douglas Sills, Rapunzel's prince on the national tour. Once upon a time. Douglas Sills played Rapunzel's prince on the national tour of Into the Woods and Carl Magnus in A Little Night Music at the Kennedy Center. He received Tony and Drama Desk nominations for originating the role of Percy in The Scarlet Pimpernel, and also appeared on Broadway in War Paint, Living on Love, and Little Shop of Horrors, as well as national tours of The Addams Family and The Secret Garden, and the encores productions of Mac and Mabel, Lady Be Good, Music in the Air, and Carnival. He can currently be seen as Monsieur Baldan, a.k.a. Borden, on The Gilded Age. When did you first become aware that there was such a thing as Into the Woods? Oh my gosh. What an interesting question. Now you're going to have to roll with my memories because this is now... uh, 35 years ago? (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just can't answer that. I don't know how I became aware, but... I would say as a student of the theater, I let's see, so I had graduated from graduate school at ACT in San Francisco uh, four, four years earlier. <clears throat> no, yeah. And uh, this would have been um, a first big job for me. Yeah. Um, although... I had certainly been involved in with, you know, heavy hitting. I got my equity card, I think, in several years earlier at the Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera. And they have, you know, they had a great organization. And Kathleen Marshall was there that summer. I mean, I had been involved. but And I had also made a shift towards straight theater and was not really um, auditioning for musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that journey for me was finding some resolution between keeping two separate resumes and having a, a unified career. Because at this point, this was the, the heyday of Sam Shepard and David Mamet. And 
those players and in that game were not really having musical people. Yeah, right. So so you 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 better and they certainly probably were not having gays. Mm. So I mean I'm not saying that there was any kind of cabal or right um organized obstruction but um that was my feeling right or right so i mean this is the era of casting directors saying oh don't read too light don't be flamboyant that that kind of feedback to people right i don't even think they would say it you would just if you were lucky and your agent had a good connection with the casting director they might say it to them and then it was up to your manager or agent to say it to you yeah I don't think they would say it to my face. They would just say, you would hear, if you were lucky, he read too light, or um, they were going in a different direction, or, uh, um, it would be, it would be um, more obscure than plain that way. Maybe it would be plainer in L.A., Mm-hmm. that stuff um yeah um mind you that stuff still goes on of course whatever um so now you were trained for acting in plays at act i assume that was not right. a musical theater program by any no, means no no and so i i didn't even tell anybody there for two <laughs> years that i sang so how did you wind up like obviously i guess you'd done what like high school musicals and stuff so you could go to like pittsburgh civic light opera and be ready to roll you know no i sang in high school a little bit i had voice lessons there but it was more choral stuff i was in a smallish private school for high school and it was more theatery there were some musicals I played nicely, nicely. There's a big song, and you know everyone kind of went right. You know when someone's a singer in yeah. that set, you're like, oh yeah. Um, Were you a Sondheim nerd? I mean, had you been like knowing every word to like Company or Sweeney Todd or anything? No, no. I was more interested in no, yeah, no. I mean, I think at 15, I saw 16, I saw Chicago and I saw um, Chorus Line, you know, those things sort of changed my perspective mm. on what I wanted to do. Then the big shift was during college at the University of Michigan before that program existed. Mm. Um, I got hired at a place called Opryland and um, really got, you know, in the mix mm. and heard real singers and all that shit and uh, took a term off college and went to New York with friends and spent a term there. And so um, just to see if I was, you know, am I able to do this? And um, I got in a play. um, I got in a musical uh, by the guys who had written something called the Lieutenant, which was sort of a big deal at one point. Anyway, they wrote this crazy musical and, uh, they I was not in the union yet and uh I got a sense that yeah I can compete and I I think I auditioned for the Radio City Christmas show and they were looking for eight singers or something and I got down from like a thousand men down to nine or ten 
and then didn't get it. And um, I think when you don't get something like that, it's like, I'll show you. Yeah. If I'd gotten it, I probably would have gone, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm done with this. So I was aware and seeing musical theater, but I wasn't a nerd. No. 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 And I wasn't really even a theater nerd. I was yeah. involved. I was involved in other things in school. Um, so, uh, no, I didn't really fall into that category. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think the first time I would have seen. Sunday in the Park with George, maybe? Is that the first one? Was well, that that's be- 84, so maybe you were oh, yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty striking for me. That was pretty, yeah. that was a, you know, and I also known that um, Mandy had studied classically at um, Juilliard. So, yeah. I, you know, he, he was one of the people I could sort of see as a crossover artist. Yeah, absolutely. That I sort of wanted to model myself after. Um, Jerry Orbach was certainly one. Yeah. Um, Kevin Klein was one. Mm-hmm. But in general, people weren't crossing over. There wasn't. No. So... Although, of course, um, when you said David Mamet, I thought of your uh, War Paint uh, co-star, Patti LuPone. Yeah. Well, she and Kevin were in that first class together. Yeah, right. At Juilliard, right. yeah. Right. Romantically. Um, yes, yes, yes. Anyway, so I, I think it <laughs> must have been just um, my... Who would have said to me, there's this audition... Um, I don't know. I mean, did you see Into the Woods on Broadway before you went in for the tour? No, no, no. no. I went in once it was, I went to see it when it was offered Mm. or when the audition came along. Yeah. And, you know, I was going through a really tough time in my life. Um. My my brother was killed in an accident and it really, everything is, anyone who's listening can imagine, everything collapsed. And yeah. um, I was really going through a tough time. The first, my first uh, experience with anxiety or anxiety attack and then trying to find some therapy to help. And um, it was, it was a really tough time. And um It came along, I was nervous about doing it because I was really suffering depression. And I said, you know, I don't know if I can do this, go out on the road and do this job. And, and, um, you had never done a tour before at that point, right? I had, I had done a tour of Shakespeare. Oh, okay. In, in mostly in California from the Cal Shakes. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my professors at ACT was Dakin Matthews who's a, a big presence on Broadway now. And yeah. hired me at the Shakes. Um, but no, I had not done a big tour. And uh, I went to see it. And you know what? I'm going to be really honest. I sat there and it brought up a lot of what felt like primal cellular uh, energy of nervousness and anxiety, seeing the way that music struck me at the time and, I don't know how to describe it, except the stuff around the wolf particularly was very, um, 
disturbing for me mm. in a in a sort of primal way and i thought i'm not i'm not ready to go to work i i, I don't feel good about this and the music was disturbing for some reason i went ahead anyway yeah. i think i just thought i i need to get on with things yeah and this is too good an opportunity to pass up if if i fail or bomb out or can't do it up they'll figure it out yeah. so um i did do it and uh I just remember sitting in the audience on Broadway seeing, hello, little girl. Yeah. Those testicles. <laughs> and it was scary. And it was, um, I don't know, it was primal. It was, um, there was something about the minor key and 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 the thing that everybody was going through that was bringing up a lot of stuff about death. And I just wasn't ready. Yeah. And, uh, but I went. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, um, I remember in rehearsal with Stephen and James, and, you know, they had already been through it. Yeah. But it's a great chance for people to really get back in and fix things that they weren't happy with. Mm-hmm. So, and we had some interesting folks. We had, um, shh. <laughs> Oh my God! We had Charlotte Ray. I mean, the second you started laughing, I think we all knew what name you were going to say. She's so funny. You know, she had a really big, important career. Yeah, yeah. She, she did a lot of important plays. She's yeah. not, she's not a lightweight. No. Um, but she was this tiny little thing. By the time I, you know, she, I'm telling you, she was like a pocket, and <laughs> she was doing her best to get. She was trying to catch her breath and get in there on those. Stephen, I can't. I can't do it. I can't. I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get. I need to breathe. Are we at five yet? Are we? Um, she was so cute, and we just were all rooting for her. You know, every time she'd start that those patter songs with the uh-huh. with the uneven rhythms. <laughs> it was all this modernism going up against somebody from the golden age of musicals. It was, it was priceless. Um, and she, she just reeks comedy. She's one of these people like Blake Hammond or like, like Brad Oscar or like Nathan. I mean, she, it just comes out of her pores. She, she can't help it when she does something. It, everything seems ridiculous. And, yeah. and she's with this sort of strapping, handsome, kind of sexy Jack. Robert McNeil, who who was kind of dumb, not not him, but his, <laughs> yeah, his yeah. character, and it was just a wonderful pair. It was just there was a thing that drew you to them. You you wanted them to succeed, uh, the characters, um, but it was such a delicious kind of Jack. You're such an idiot. <laughs> you're starving here. <laughs> but there was also this sense of playing it for real, you know. Yeah. They were, this was, they were very clear on don't make fun of them. Don't, we don't need you to laugh at them. We'll do the laughing. Just play it straight. When you're a prince, don't go, you wouldn't even dare in front of them to go to sort of mocking it or, right? Because you were a prince and you would put, and of course I was into this Stanislavski and the, I'm, I'm trying to find the, Right. And you, 
you know, musical, they don't want that. You got to do that on your own. They don't want yeah. to do that shit. So, um, I mean, did you have a sense that, well, if any musical is going to hold up to my Stanislavski training, it's a Stephen Sondheim, James Lapine production, or did it, was it just a musical at the end of the day? Well, you know, Chuck, who was playing Cinderella's Prince, had played my part on Broadway. Yeah. A little bit of scrutiny about that. Like, mm. I had sort of like, okay, I don't have to be like him. And to be completely honest, I wasn't thinking of him because the one time I saw it, there's so much to see. Rapunzel's just not. I mean, it's a wonderful part, but it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. You're th- if you're thinking of the prince, you're thinking of Cinderella's prince. Yeah. Um, so no, I don't remember thinking like, oh, I just do your work and bring it in. Yeah. And, and feel the room. Yeah. Play the room, you know. And um, Stephen was extremely particular about rhythm. Very particular. No liberties. Yeah. None. And. Um, you know, you would get a note like, Douglas, that's a dotted 16th. Right? And I'm like, <laughs> part of me is like, did you all hear that? Like, <laughs> it's crazy, right? It's like, oh, Steve, yeah, I'm so, for sure. Forgive me. <laughs> I, I don't know what got it. I don't really read music. I'll get it right. I promise. <laughs> and feeling very lucky to be in the room. Um, yeah. It wasn't Broadway. We knew we weren't. But at the same time, we felt like we were given this torch to carry forward and to take this thing, which may very well be his first successful enterprise commercially. Yeah. To take it into the hinterlands. Yeah. You know, it's not the frogs. So Right. So we I think everybody thought, oh, this could. And uh, and it has, I mean especially when you talk to the younger generation, you know, the millennials and everything like, and every, and younger than that, this is the Sondheim show they think of first. Right. I agree that. Well, listen, when we sat in the audience post pandemic or during pandemic of the revival recently, and you know, it was like, you thought you were at Madison square garden at a Billy Joel. Totally. The people were going crazy, and I'm looking around like, are we in the right theater? What's going on? Yeah. They were screaming before the song started, right? They hear the intro, and you're like, okay, where did this seed get planted? What? So, yeah. Um, but they were very particular. They were very present. They were there all the time. Um, there was none of this associate director putting wow. it together and them coming in later. Yeah. Um, the comedy, um, it, it, that that thing between the baker and the baker's wife, it was so delicate. You know, they have to want each other. They have to want each other and need each other. Because if you're like, I don't know, honey, I got the cape. I got the golden. What? What? Where? Are, if you're at that point, <laughs> you have to want this baby. You have to want each other. Yes, there's a break, but it's a break from something. You, if you don't have that, it's like Gomez and Morticia. You've got to have that love there, right? So, and that, and yet they're both very funny. But you can't. You got to be careful where you take your laughs. Otherwise, you're cashing in chips that you're going to need later for the ending when you have to care about what's happened to them. You can't make fun of it. So anyway, it was a delicate tonal balance. 
and um, just fantastic. And we had the grace of knowing what worked and that these tunes and already having seen them played in front of an audience. So we didn't have that lack of certainty about mm. how this play is this going to work. So had that what, been sense watching it on Broadway, uh, this is a show that works. I'm stepping into like a, you know, a, a well-oiled machine kind of a piece. Yeah. To some degree, but you know, it's not Fiddler on the Roof. It's not Oklahoma. No. I can't send my parents to this. Right. You know, they're going to be like, you, you know what they were saying in this year. They'd be saying, I can't hum anything. It's so complicated. You know, oi, you know, give me a, so <laughs> yes, they had already worked out a lot of stuff, but we were taking it to less sophisticated places mm-hmm. where the tastes were even, um, you know, perhaps more, um, middle of the road less eager for modernism yeah was that did you feel that there was a a sensitivity to that and a sort of uh preparation for that in the process i mean there wasn't anything to be done we were sort of just going into battle with new weapons (laughs) there was was nothing to be done we were sort of ready to go out and explore like lewis and clark you know wow and we felt like well it's on broadway i don't know so when we went out had they won their tonys or yeah so you can always say that, and people go, "Oh well, it's one of the shows. Come on, we have to go see this, Estelle. We, we need to know exactly. You know, it's one of won some Tonys." <laughs> and, uh, we started in Palm Beach, I think. Yeah, at the Parker Playhouse. Yeah, um, where I had a near-death experience with the set. No, I was I was on a day off or something, and I was swimming, and uh, I got caught in a riptide, and <gasps> oh. I, yeah, I was, I was, I couldn't, and then suddenly in the distance on the shore, I saw somebody going like this. Mm. They saw that I was having trouble, and they said, swim this way. But if that person hadn't been there, and I was gasping for air, I mean, oh. I made it to, I, I just, it was, anyway, and no one's there, so you can't really tell somebody, I almost died just now. Um but we were all coming together and that Ray Gill is just so funny. You know, you on a tour, you always have the the lead players who hopefully lead the cast. Um, it was, uh, it was exciting. And like I said, I knew how it had affected me. What I experienced was, you know, a lot of depression on the road that I was trying to push through and figure out how do you handle this on the road and, you know, having stage fright in the wing right before I go out. And um, it was interesting for me. It was a real life's journey. But I was I could also, you know, say to my parents, see, I'm I'm in a national tour of a big Broadway show. Yeah. Um, and then I think we we did make it to Detroit, where I'm from. And I think we played. I want to say we played the Fox Theater, but. Maybe that's not right because there's the Fisher there and the Fox Theater and Orchestra Hall. But I think I think we played the Fox Theater, which is this enormous house. And um it was just a really wonderful experience and playing with real savvy 
people that know where their jokes are and hit it every time and sure-footed voices and what it means to take on the responsibility and not missing your shows and whatever you're doing at night you know this thing has to have it, it was a little bit of a different sensibility perhaps than what's going on now yeah um, from what i understand yeah it's a it's a dicey subject i i know but i understand from others that there's a, a different sort of feeling going on right now but it was that tradition and maybe we were the end of it um and i just felt really lucky to get to watch them and learn my craft sort of on the road and um i think I had an agent in a guy who just passed away, Jim Wilhelm at DGRW. Yeah. And Jim had picked me up from, um, I got an agent right out of ACT in Michael Bloom on the West Coast. But I think Jim wanted to represent me on the East Coast. And I think he saw me at um, Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera and offered to represent me. What did so you do in Pittsburgh with Kathleen? We did at this time. I'm not sure what they do now. There were six musicals, mm. eight weeks or something. So, and they hired six um, dancers for the chorus and six singers, male, and then six female singers and six female dancers. And that chorus did every show. Mm. So, while we're doing one show, you rehearse the other one wow. the next day during the day. And we did. Um... Oh my God. We did, um, <laughs> we did The Student Prince, Kiss Me Kate, South Pacific, wow. um, help, um, <laughs> um, Student Prince, South Pacific, Kiss Me Kate, um, Promises, Promises, mm. um, Brigadoon, mm-hmm. And yikes, I can't remember. And, you know, they would job in the leads. And I met Mark Jacoby. He came into the student prince and Meg Bussert. And there were just these wonderful pros. Yeah. Um, who you got to witness. And I had finished grad school. And so every time there was a little part with a line or two, I would say to Susan Schulman, who was the director of most of the shows, Susan, you know, I, I was very eager to sort of gate mm. a character, a drunk for Promises, Promises, or, you know, a doctor, or whatever it was. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was trying to do, you know, Ian McKellen on the, and these little walk-ons. <laughs> and um, I just, uh, she, I'm sure she had her fill of me trying to be, but that said, she cast me in the tour of, Secret Garden, that was my yeah. next gig. Thing. So obviously she knew that I had it in me and was ready to do it. Yes. Now, okay, speaking of your eagerness, I think when you played Rapunzel's Prince, you were also understudying uh, Cinderella's Prince and the Wolf, right? Right. So were you, have, were you scared to go on, extra scared because of the feeling you'd had watching it or what was, you know? Yeah, I mean, you're, yeah, sure, sure. You know what? I I have a feeling that I didn't understudy the wolf. I don't know why they split it up. So if Chuck was out, I, I would go on as Cinderella's prince. But I think somebody else was the wolf. Maybe it was just for ease 
for the transition. I don't know. Um, my big concern. So you don't you don't think you played the wolf at all? No. Oh wow. I do remember Chuck. Chuck is a very unusual guy. He took the wolf very seriously and the prince, but in like an unusual way, like I can do this prince. Like he had it in him. Like he was born to be a prince. And and he also carried the mantle of the original Broadway production because he was in it. Um, and there was a point on the road where <laughs> I, this is the way I remember it. They decided they couldn't have testicles. Ah. <laughs> and um, I don't know. Was there also a wolf's penis? Yeah, yeah. Uh, penis and testicles. Okay. I think the testicles were what showed more because. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting in, we're getting into the weeds. So to speak. <laughs> but um, I just remember the day they cut Chuck's testicles off and <laughs> he was there watching and he was. <laughs> literally inconsolable for the day he was uh, just there <laughs> it's not right you can't do this it's just not right and he just felt neutered um so no i never got to play the wolf but i did play his part um and uh what i was worried about was the low notes i mean i have a high timbre to my voice now but then i mean you know Let's just say Cleo Lane, who was playing the witch. Yeah. Her speaking voice was lower than mine. Wow. I was trying to get down here, but hello, little girl. You know, nothing, <laughs> nothing came out. You know, nothing, nothing really came out. So you're trying your best to get it out. Um, but it was, uh, it was a responsibility that you took very seriously and you knew at any time this could happen. It was going on all around you. Somebody would miss. Now, there wasn't the ease of missing. I mean, every, you did it if you could. There was a different. Yeah. If you could crawl, you were doing it. So, but things came up. He was married. He had kids. Um, I'm sure he didn't miss very often. He's a killer. You know, he. Yeah. So I don't remember doing it very often, but I did do it. Um, and I think I remember being more eager for our understudies to get on. So it yeah. was more like you wanted them to get a chance. Um, so ah. you knew that you'd get in trouble if you sort of massage the rules, but you really wanted to give those guys a shot to go on specifically if they were in a city where their parents were, you know? Right. Um, but you know, there were big penalties for, you couldn't call them. No. Sick. Um, and also on the road, it's a whole different thing. You're not going home at night to your home. Everybody's going home to each other, essentially. I mean, yeah. you may not go and do something together, but you're all you have. Yeah. You don't, you don't come into work from your life. You tour is a very different thing. So it especially must have been different then before uh the internet, because I think now people are able probably to maintain some level of like virtual connection with their normal life on the road. And there, other than long distance phone calls, you you kind of cut off. I love you say that before the internet. You know, somebody would start by trying to make a fire before <laughs> we all got into our sleeping bags around the campfire. <laughs> then we somebody would throw a bone in the air. Um, yes, it was very different. Before cell phones and the internet, 
everything was different. Now we yeah. weren't busing. I'm sure there were places we bust, but yeah. in general, it was a first class national tour. Um, but yeah, you're talking about pay phones yeah. to, call, to call people. Nobody had a phone in their dressing room. Um, none of this, no texting. Um, so you missed people. You, yeah. you missed them. And you yeah. tried to use your calling card from the phone in the yeah. hotel, but the host. And if you miss them, you miss them. They're not. Right. Yeah. I think we had those voice voicemail things with like it was a box next to the phone and you turn yeah. it, it's beeping. I know this is going to be prehistoric for some people. But really? yes, when you were on tour then, you were going away from home with little to no um, tether to the homeland. The other thing that we did not have on the road that subsequent years brought to road shows is um, easy hookups. I mean, there's no grinder. There was no internet. So if you wanted to find company on the road, (laughs) you know, you had to really, you had to hunt it down. You had to find the bar. You know, you had to get to the bar. You didn't know what you were going to find when you got there. I mean, it was hoot some of the places you went with some of the people in the cast. And uh, who were uh, like your going out buddies from the Into the Woods cast? I guess Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, I mean, there was a. There was a woman in that show that I was intimate with. Wow. Who who shall remain nameless. Um, I know that it's Charlotte Ray. (laughs) um, But uh, who else did I go out with? Uh, They were all straight. Right. I was hoping you were going to blow my mind and say like Rex Robbins or something. Oh, God. He was so sweet. He was so great to have an older person like that on the road. And Rex, who'd done so many things. He was such a sweet soul. Um. God, he was sweet. It's just great having that presence. Having that intergenerational thing in a show is just, it's so important. I mean, I don't know. Maybe people don't want to hear about it now, but I was a student of it. Um, oh, well, Ray Gill, a little bit with oh, Ray. Oh, yeah. He's gay. Um, I don't, I can't think of any of the other men being gay. Um, the other standby uh no he was straight and uh chuck and um cinderella's father straight and uh they were all yeah so no Uh, maybe uh, maybe no i was thinking on the crew but no well that's a small posse that's something you weren't alone right but now you're never alone now you're never alone of the internet (laughs) So that makes touring life very different. Yeah. So Whole Foods makes touring life very mm. different. Because I went, I did a tour several years ago of the Adams Family. and um, hey. Oh, with Sarah Gettlefinger. Right. Yeah. Right. And that tour was, you know, wonderful and interesting. And there's so, it just makes it so much better. Just finding great food. Yeah. Anyway. For the last time, I am not on Ozempic. I made one little joke on this podcast, and everybody started calling me out, texting me, calling me cringe, whatever. I really was asked by people if I was on Ozempic, and as I told them, I am not. 
I am just eating factors, no prep, no mess meals, okay? Warmer, sunnier days are coming. Fire Island season is here. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian-approved meals and ingredients you can trust. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. And kitchen time is kept to a minimum. They are ready in two minutes. No shopping, no prepping, no cooking, no cleanup. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or just simply to eat well balanced. Head to factormeals.com slash giants in the sky 50 and use code giants in the sky 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code giants in the sky 50 at factormeals.com slash giants in the sky 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You know, I know the tour was pretty successful, at least in terms of uh, how long it ran. And you stayed for, I think, like six months or nine months or something. Oh, I said my recollection, you may have better information. My recollection is a year. So, okay, but I think then maybe it went on for a whole other year after that. But were you, were, did you consider at all staying longer or were you like, yeah, we're done? Or did you have a job you had to go to? That's an interesting question. I think I was done. Yeah. I think I was done. Um, okay, so this probably would have been fall of 89 yeah and i think um i'm trying to remember what my next gig was i think at this time i had a residence in los angeles because i had gone to grad school in san francisco and um i think i went back there and i might have got my first tv gig Mm. and i also had another shakespeare gig and my classmates from ACT were starting theaters and had other theater jobs and that we would call each other for, hey, can you come do this? So I should have really, before you and I talked, Ben, I should have sort of looked ahead to see what the next job was and how that came about. But, um, oh, I know. What was it? I think what happened was Lapine asked if I would come into falsettos on Broadway. I don't think that happened for two more years or like at least, oh, maybe it was the um, Hartford stage falsettos. Oh, no, that would have been Graziella Danielle. Oh, falsetto land off Broadway would have been the right timing. Okay. That makes sense. 
it was already going on. Yeah, so at the Lortel. Where was that? Where it was? Yeah. Thank God for you. You're a real nerd. I'm the biggest nerd. Yeah. Except you know what? This is my sweet spot. I don't know anything after like 2003. Then. No. <laughs> Well, I think he asked me to do it, and I said yes, but I had to be, like, the assistant stage manager as well, and I said, okay, okay, and I was understudying Wizard, I think. Yeah. And uh, then the producers of Into the Woods wouldn't let me out. Oh, wow. They wouldn't let me out to do it. Um, so that was the next job offer that I had, but it was a good sign that, oh, they want to, he wants to work with me again. He sees yeah. you know, something there. Um, yeah, I have, now I have to go back and find out. I'm going to have to ask my friends, my sister, what happened to me, Nick? Um, I feel like I'm in New Jersey in the old folks home. Tell me <laughs> I mean, what happened next. This is why I have to do the podcast because literally everybody has huge gaping holes and i mean people there's like i, I still I beg don't, your pardon yeah you heard me i still don't even know who played the witch in the reading at playwrights horizons nobody knows um and um i mean they did a workshop there with betty buckley and then they did another workshop with betty buckley and they had ellen foley i mean there's a lot that i have been able to find out but there was the first reading at playwrights in 1985 it was a crazy cast. Christine Estabrook was the baker's wife. They had no music, but they no one knows who played the witch. Um, but surely well, um, James knows. No, no clue. He James told me that Ellen Foley never did it on Broadway. I mean, he doesn't know anything. <laughs> I have plays. That, that sounds so right. Um, <laughs> but but so here's my question for you: With that uh, year behind you, and the, here you've got James Lapine wanting you to come do his next show. Were you thinking, okay, this is right. Musical theater is, you know, a place for me to to succeed. I'm going to focus on this. But it sounds like maybe not if you were going back to L.A. and doing Shakespeare and TV. No, no. I think it reinforced my mind that I see now if I can keep this double path going, how I can continue to work more than somebody who isn't. Mm. But not in terms of synthesizing it into one actor. So that's why sort of for my career, there was a duality to it on the West Coast. I'm sort of, I feel like I have a stronger reputation as a straight theater actor, a straight theater actor. Right, right. An actor of plays. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> on the East Coast, more of musicals. Mm-hmm. After Pimpernel happened. It was yeah, just, sure. it was all musicals. So um and that I realized as time went along that um, people were appreciating the originality of what came up as you start to um, create a character from the ground up, li- literally putting seeds in the ground and creating the character, which I think that background from a theater training helped me do. I was never afraid. I wasn't copying somebody from a movie or from another production of Oklahoma that I saw. I was sort yeah. of saying, okay, this character's in this position. What are the given circumstances? You know, and and doing it that way. And and I think people appreciate it, especially if they didn't really know what the character was. They often, I found, turned to me and kind of went, I'm not sure what this is, but you're kind of funny and you're sort of a leading man on the outside and sort of Woody Allen on the inside. What do you <laughs> 
So I think I just was going to continue on in that way and be able to work in both places. Now, what I didn't understand that I know now is I was giving up momentum when, uh, you, move, when you move from one area to the other, particularly if there was a geography split, you know, you gave up momentum. Like, where is he? Oh, he's not here. I think he lives on the West Coast. Right. Wait, he's doing. Oh, yeah. Forget it. He's not available. So let's talk about Stokes and. Da, yeah. Da, 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 da. So you give that up. Um, if Berkeley rep was, you know, they, oh no, he's on the road with yeah. yeah, he's yeah. So was there nobody, own... is that not a thing that like Jim Wilhelm would have said to you or you just not listen because you were young and whatever, you know? No, I don't think they analyzed it that closely. I think they thought of it as a, yeah, he does both. Yeah. I think they saw it as a plus. I don't, right. I don't know that, you know, the the physics of momentum of a career were in focus. I think mm -hmm. they, you know, I think there weren't that many people doing it. And um, I was sure-footed about what I wanted in that regard. I knew that I liked singing and that stuff, but I was looking forward to a deeper um, examination of characters. And there weren't, there, oftentimes in musicals, they're not, there's no time or they're not interested um, unless it's a new piece. And even then, there's not time. So um, I knew that that I was only going to get to do that in straight theater or, or theater plays. And um, so I was content to keep doing it. Um, then there was, you know, I, there was the duality of place for me, New York, LA. There was the duality of plays and musicals. And there was the duality of being gay and not really being accepted that way. How did that compare between New York and LA? Well, I think, I don't think that anyone ever mistook me for um, you know, Vincent D'Onofrio, I, I just wasn't like, you know, I know, I know that I come across the way I come across, but they would say he can pass sometimes, mm -hmm. right? And other times there were other performers that didn't. That's in LA. Yeah. And I yeah. would say in LA, they would just say he's too light or, um, no, or, uh, you know, my fellow actors, some, a lot of them were lying. They would bring yeah. pictures of kids in yeah. that didn't exist. They would wear wedding rings. They would be careful of their pronouns. Um, I don't think I was heroic. I just knew that in terms of the economy, the physics of having a life, I wasn't going to be able to remember yeah. who I said what to. So I just said, the chips will fall where they're going to fall. And the first time... The, New the LA Times said, you know, I'd like to do an article. And they said, is it okay if I come to your house? And I'm like, okay. And my partner was there and they did a whole thing. And I don't remember people doing that before me. And yeah. then Mitchell Anderson sort of came out on Party right. of So it just, it was a, it was a door that was creaking open and then slamming shut and creaking open. And we all knew that you were never going to be an important singular movie star, but if you could continue to work, um, you know, then Frasier happened. There were characters like Niles, you know, where you're like, okay, 
but I didn't really look like that. So uh, I had a different problem. Yeah. Right. So it. Do you have just, resentment toward the actors who were just kind of lying and having the the double life at the time? No. No. No, I feel so lucky. And I think everybody's on their own journey. And yeah. you do what you can. I think I have a sort of, we're all just doing the best we can. That's, I mean, that's a wonderful kind of wisdom. Did you have that so early in your in your life and career? I certainly was like, oh, uh, should I wear this color? Right, right. You know. <laughs> uh, uh, so, no, I'm not saying I was, you know, decades past that. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I think I was like anybody in the business. Um, how light am I? Yeah. You know, my heroes were... British actors. Yeah. And when you're a Brit, everybody's light. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm talking about Ralph Richardson and John Gilgood and Lawrence yeah. Olivier and these transformational actors. And it didn't really matter. There was a different aesthetic. Yeah. And, um I I think I was we were all just trying to find our way. Yeah. And somebody said, Hey, there's an audition for you just <laughs> You did your best. You read the material and you're like, I have a great idea. I'm going to go in like this, or I'm not going to yeah. go in. Or I'm going to, or I'm going to wear those jeans that are ripped and yeah. I'm, I'm going to be dirty and smelly. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't begrudge anything, but it would, I, I, I think it's just fascinating how different it was or, than it is now. And it was such a short time ago, but it was very, ah. very, I know that. The only other person was Paul Lim. I mean, on the center square of the. <laughs> what about at that time, like in New York? Did you feel that it was less of a? Um... Sure, because there were just a lot of gay people around, but still, the product had to be straight. The product, it yeah, straight, and it it had to be straight proof. And you know, I think you'll hear this from other people. <clears throat> you can't you can't be successful, and I would say I was successful beyond my dreams, and at the same time. I never hit some of my goals, but you can't be successful without uh, the cheering on forward of casting directors, but they are the gatekeepers. And <clears throat> I always found that my biggest fans were um, women casting directors. Mm -hmm. It was never an issue. When it was a gay male casting director who knew I was gay, I think what you'll hear from other gay performers is often we felt that they laid their personal yeah. issues onto us about, mm. oh, no, I can see it. He's gay. It's obvious he can't play that part. And women would just say, he's fantastic. He's sexy as hell. I want to sleep with him. Send him forward to the studio. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you've heard this before, um, but we we were aware that it was the gay men gatekeepers who were in some ways your, I don't want to say your enemy, but they express the internalized homophobia. Yeah. For sure. when the producers or directors were like oh yeah 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 i see what you're saying you know yeah right so i didn't have resentment no do i have regrets no i knew what i was getting into um and we have this um when you're that age and you wanted to be in the theater you have this rocket fuel behind you of ambition and drive and nothing is going to get in your way and you say yeah you know, until tragedy strikes or you have to feed a baby and you have to go find. So you just kind of push forward the best you can. 
I mean, when those in the early 90s, before you did Pimpernel, when you started seeing Falsettos, Kiss of the Spider Woman, Jeffrey, Angels in America, um, you know, the whole spate, you know, and then all those kind of off-Broadway comedies that were happening. Did that, how did that play out in terms of being an actor at the time and going into casting, you know? I think I was frightened of it, but eager to see it going on and having it come to four, you know, I was like, yes, that's what I want to do. I was ready to do it. And um, I was just hoping for the chance. So when I saw those shows, Jeffrey, particularly um, Angels, Angels was just seminal in every way. It was just, it was just, um, it was just life-changing. Yeah. And um, I... You know, at the same time, I think Les Liaisons Dangereuses was going on with Alan Rickman, and he he was a straight man, but he was projecting a certain style and elegance yeah. in this period. And his voice was here, and he was saying, "I'm going to fuck you into next Friday." You know, <laughs> so there was there was this dynamism of um, sexual tension, even though there was not the traditional masculine. Um, pushing forward the pretense, the the show. Um, so all kinds of things were going on around you. Um, and I was just looking, you know, to grab the brass ring um, and getting close. Um, and, you know, just so close on so many things. And then, and you you never know what's said in those rooms. Yeah. You know, Right, or I don't believe it, or yeah, it doesn't match up, or what are you talking about? It's great, or um, how oh, no, I slept with him, or I was at a bar with him, or no, 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 I'm not, yeah, not that's not good. I don't want, I'm not putting a million dollars into that. So you just never know. All you can do is, um, is do your best. And, um, when the business is through with you, if you can't make it, you can't make a living, you take a break or come back later, or if you're lucky enough to push forward, um, you know, every actor has his issues. Like, I'm not going to get in a chorus. I knew that. No yeah. one's going to take me stand in the chorus. I'm too big. I'm, the, my voice was, it's it, it just, I don't get that shot. Some people can do both, you know. Yeah. So I didn't really, there were other areas where I was limited in that way. But um, I just kept working on my craft and pushing forward and is there some sense of gosh I wish that wish that was me I wish that were me excuse me um yeah absolutely if you don't have that you didn't want it in the first place so Ah. yes there but I I think at least now I'm trying to think of at the time if I was sanguine about it and thought listen we're all just doing the best we can here yeah um I think that that's probably come with maturation. I don't know that I was yeah. so so Buddha like when I was young. Right. Well, you were working a lot, also, so you probably didn't have a lot of time to be bitter of other people's jobs. No, that's true. But you know, you always—I didn't have a real breakthrough until Pimpernel, and I had given up in a way at that point. Huh. I had I had decided, you know, 
the roles I'm getting are not equivalent to my ambition. I am working, but it, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life doing these parts. I'm surprised that before Pimpernel, you were never in Les Mis or Phantom. I would have thought those shows, or even Jekyll and Hyde, like I would have thought those would have all been, were they offered to you and you just had other jobs at the Um, time? I think, when would the 10th anniversary of Les Mis be? Like right at the same time as Pimpernel. Oh. Because he offered that to me. But at that point, Les Mis was really tired. And there yeah. was tourists. And ah. no one, no one th- and I was like, I don't want to be in the 10th anniversary and be told, okay, this is where he picks up the picture right. and you take the candlestick and you do yeah. that. I mean, that was my nightmare. Sure. So I didn't, I said, no, thank you. You know, yeah. to Angel Ross that I just thought you can find somebody to do that. And, um, and otherwise I was probably out, you know, at wherever doing you know, whatever you do. And uh, I probably wasn't around enough having, you know, some career activity on the West Coast. and um, Saved you (laughs) from the mega musical replacement track. I think I was into it. When I first saw Les Mis in London, I was... Yeah. I was knocked out. I want to do it more than anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So it just didn't happen for me. I don't know why. I think I thought I wasn't uh, old enough to play Jean Valjean. Yeah. And I wasn't baritone enough, bass enough to play um, Javert. Yeah. Um, so I just thought, oh, that's not really the right part. Uh, Raul probably would have been the right part. I think they wanted to see me. I don't remember what happened, but it had been running a long time. And again, I, I thought I would be locked in in something yeah. that sort of like, Maybe this so. Do this and this. Did you do anything else with Hal Prince? No, no. Did you do not any more Sondheim? Really. Not that you can remember. <laughs> were there were there any other Sondheim moments for you after Into the Woods? Um. Yes. Shit. There were a few. Oh. So. Um. Boy, Ben, I should have. Wait, I think I'm failing in my homework. Did you do something in the Kennedy Center Festival? Yeah, Yeah. I'm trying to think something before that. But um, I did, at the Kennedy Center, I did um, a little night music. Mm. Uh, I played... um, Carl Magnus opposite Randy Graf. Right. Yes, yes. And um, like, uh, I want to say Judith Ivey was Desiree. Is that right? No. Blair Brown. Blair Brown. And John Dossett. Amazing. Amazing. And um, Kristen Bell was in it as the yeah. little. Before she, she was a huge TV star. And I don't know what to do. And I say, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. Yeah. You're going to go to Los Angeles. Mm. No, no, I would be lost. I would... Listen to me. <laughs> you need to go to Los Angeles now. Yes. I saw her not long ago. She lives near me in LA. Um, Yeah, that was pretty remarkable. And, you know, I haven't said this publicly, but something odd happened with Steve there. And um, I never got to do another one. Um, 
I'm trying, forgive me, Ben. I'm trying to decide if I want to tell this story. No problem. Um, you can tell it and then tell me to cut it if you feel as it comes out that it's not. Uh... No, this is a genius and a great man. Yeah. And, um, and a Jew and I and a gay person. And I felt uh. extremely lucky to be alive while he was alive and just lapped up everything he did. Um, he... Closing night, I, I don't think it's a secret to anyone that he was um, enjoying alcohol during the Kennedy Center. And um, our closing night, he said something really rude in front of everyone to me. And I was like, I was leaving. And he was like, hey, Doug Sills, there's a mirror right over there on your way out. You can... And everybody was like, what was that about? I get home and there's a letter of apology from him. Oh. Yeah, right? You think, oh. But see, he was so embarrassed that never, I was never allowed in again. And um, he. I looked at it again after he passed and he said something in it about, I don't know, I'd have to pull it out, a childhood crush or I was behaving like a child or teenager you know there was some reference to attraction mm. and uh i never got in again and i maybe i should have written him back and said please i understand no but i i yeah. I, I i would have thought he just wanted to yeah let it die and move forward and i was like yeah let it die i just want to work yeah my but I realized that something happened during the run. He came into my dressing room when I was getting ready for the show and he sat down and it was my own private dressing room there. And I mean, it was after a half hour and I'm like, sometimes this is my chance. I'm alone with him. So I started asking him every question about that. I ever wanted to know about certainly about little night music and um, I'm having a stroke again, my Mitch McConnell moment, who wrote the film? Uh, oh, right and i was like how the hell do you and listen i'm not um you know matthew i wasn't pretty i'm not beautiful but my shirt was off and i was trying to dress and also talk to him and i was looking in the mirror and looking at him in the mirror while i was yeah trying to deal with him and get ready and ask him the questions i've always wanted to know about what happened with and he was telling me these great stories about Bergman and and then he left and that was probably 20 minutes 25 minutes and I, I wow I just sat with the genius I mean there was a fire burning in my room this guy was sitting there yeah. it didn't occur to me why he was there or what was going on or what I wasn't picking up on signals I was being I was just living. I was a kid. I just yeah. didn't, I never would occur to me that somebody that he would, he could have that. It just, and I realize now that was connected and the mirror thing was connected to what yeah. he said and the apology note that he sent on his great little paper. You know, you've seen those notes, I'm sure a thousand yeah. of them. 
that every fucking person posted on Instagram after he died. So when he died, it was, I had very mixed feelings about it. I felt like, listen, he's a human being. I get it. I just feel like, boy, I saw shows that I should have done, you know? Yeah. So I love him. And I asked, I know this is going to sound crazy. You thought you were, I have a person that has been remarkable who, can communicate with the other side. Wow. Didn't we think we were going there? Right. And uh, she's a <laughs> remarkable person. And um, she, I know I'm, I, listen, part of me is all science. And then part of me is, is just a hopeful believer in all yeah. things wonderful. And I, I was really torn about this Stephen thing. I, the letter brought up a lot of stuff and I was looking back at my career and I realized Maybe I wasn't good enough for some of those parts, but I couldn't even get in the room when, when yeah. I had been doing his shows. Yeah. And I said to, I, I said before I had one of my readings, I said, Stephen, listen, I'm having a reading tomorrow. It would be great if you could come and just talk to me for a second about, am I imagining this or what? And so we we have the reading and we're coming to the end. She said, I said, is there anybody else there? And I said, well, there's somebody I want to talk to. Um, And she said, hold on. (laughs) She's Israeli. And she said, there's someone who's, there's so much music. I can't. (laughs) It's a he's showing off. It's like, okay, I get it. I get it. She's saying, wow, the real show up. She wants me to see. And he has all these awards. (laughs) Now, this is a person who has no idea what I do. She has no connection to theater and she says he's got all these awards he wants to make sure i see them and he's playing the music so loud and um he's very full of himself i said okay and his name is steve and i was like okay wow and uh he says um he's having a great time he's here with and she named two other names that i didn't know you would be the person i i could go look at my notes um she doesn't let you record it no (laughs) because of the electric Something about the electric. Yes, it's yes. All by, this is all by phone, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> he says who he's sitting there with, and they're telling stories, and he's having a good time. And he says, he says to you, you think I had much more power over what was mm-hmm. going than was true. Yeah. So that's just live insane. your life. Anyway, so that's my Stephen story. And so according my- to his ghost. He would have loved to work with you again, and there was other people, whatever reason. I they- just think I think he he would say, you know, listen, I'm not that powerful. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, there was a tribute to him that I went to and I sang at, and um, I tried to shake his hand, and he it was much later in our lives, and he just couldn't look at me. I shook his hand. I said, "Hi, Steve," and he's like, "Well, I don't." You know, kind of like, I mean, he was sometimes an awkward person, but very right. friendly at the time. So I just think we, you know, I just had bad luck with yeah. that thing. And um, that happens, you know, now they would call it sexual harassment or whatever, or, you know, but it's all guessing. But yeah, I, I remember one fun day in rehearsals, his brother came to rehearsal. And when he walked in the room, you could not. He looked so much like Steve. 
It's like it was, oh Peter sister. This is so scary. And his brother came in to watch rehearsal. And I remember sitting down with him and I said, I'm just, what do you do? What do you do for a living? And he said, I'm a nuclear physicist. I was like, of course you are. Of course, <laughs> of course you are. Um, but other than Stephen being very particular about tone and um, I think my voice was fine. They wouldn't have let me do it if it wasn't. He was very peculiar, uh, very particular, not peculiar about rhythm, as yeah. you can imagine. But I mean, down to the yeah, you hear things that. Um, so when he was there, you were nervous, but yeah, you you know you had to do it. Um, and what I was think- the song of his that you did in that tribute you mentioned? I don't remember. Was it um, like the thing at the New Amsterdam or like, was it like at Symphony Space, the wall-to-wall Sondheim? No, it was. um... I think he was getting a big award, but I think someone asked me to sing from Pimpernel with like 10 guys or something. Oh, oh. So they had already picked. I I think it was just people doing their. Hmm their stuff yeah Uh, i didn't get to choose yeah yeah um but i would say all in all the way i look back at into the woods is um it was a healing thing for me to make it through and find my feet under me psychologically and and to either cope with depression and push forward or to have it abate to some degree and understand that after the death of my brother that I could move forward. And it was through these fairy tales that, you know, you recognize that they're both allegories in terms of passing along morality, but also you could infer real people into them. And the music just took the whole thing to a different level of reality as music was sometimes so apt. And there's something about the keys when I hear some of those chords and the chord progressions, it brings back a certain um, joy and sadness. And it was a real crucible of pushing through a difficult time in my life and coming out the other side with flaws, but hardened to move forward, especially with the example that older players like Chuck and Ray Gill, bless his soul, and Mary Gordon Murray, who was just a comedic genius, mm. um, and Kathy, um, and Charlotte, and mostly Cleo. Yeah. Cleo Lane. Cleo Lane, I mean, she this her voice was like a like an oboe, like a like a glass oboe. Mm. It, just, it just it was just remarkable. And unlike anybody that I had ever listened to before. And um she brought a certain age to the part, you know, and because maybe she was this beautiful, exotic woman, a mixed race woman, beauty and the witch, and when the witch is ugly and when the witch is beautiful, she already had that stuff in her as a person. Mm. Not that there was anything ugly about her, but but perceptions about yeah. what beauty is. And um, she was just uh, a remarkably... 
elegant, special person. So I look at that as a, in some ways, a, you know, a springboard forward into everything important that came. That was an imprimatur saying, you know, we, we, Stephen and James say he's good enough to be amongst the best. Yeah. So, and I could also say to my parents, or they would see, oh, I guess. Yeah. And everybody. I mean, there's that, you know, how, however the experience was at the time, there is just certainly now just that kind of imprimatur of like a Stephen Sondheim production, you know, that is just, even Andrew Lloyd Webber would give his, you know, his kid cut off his balls to have the, uh, that, you know. The other thing to recognize is he was not legendary or mythical at that point. Right. It never had a success. He yeah. was the oddball that wrote oddball music. Mm-hmm. Right. We were sort of nerdy fans of, well, but this is special. You have to, you have to let it hit you. You know what I mean? It wasn't at everybody's taste. He wasn't praised by everyone. It never had a commercial success. He was just, he was that oddball guy that. Yeah. Come on, give me something hummable, you know? So it's important to recognize back then. Everybody was taking a chance happily. We felt yeah. like we were going out on a limb uh, on a, you know, one of those rickety bridges that crosses a chasm and we were ready to traipse through it as all theater people are. If you give them a chance, you know, theater people will kill themselves for you. They just will. They just want to be together and make something more important than themselves and do it, you know, as a group. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's really important to understand about Into the Woods that he was not thought of the way he is today No, but it's a part it's a big part of the reason why he is and and i really like what you said about the allegorical nature of those stories and that music and i'm really happy you shared that experience you had with him at the kennedy center because just like you were saying about the character of the witch i mean this is this human being who has created all of these things and the, the humanity in that work comes from him being a three-dimensional flawed person with longing. And I mean, if, if I can relate, if you can talk about your experiences as a gay man trying to work in Hollywood and Broadway in the nineties, what he went through decades and decades earlier, you know, that, that has to have uh, a cost somewhere and, you know, an inappropriate sort of, um, lashing out under the influence like at a handsome young you know actor like that it 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 all is like part of that whole you know and I think if we only tell these like sanitized stories about the greats it's not it's not really helping anybody understand where anything came from so I really really appreciate you sharing that I think you know you couldn't be more right and i've talked about that with somebody else of what he wasn't able to experience but it was going on all around him at that point right mm-hmm. the i was going through an upheaval um uh, uh jacket um will and grace had happened ah. and that really shifted the whole and he didn't get to have mm-hmm. right and um the pressure around him on that was has been present for everyone, but more for him because of the time he was in and his mentors were in the pressure. The thing that squirts out when it's under pressure are those shows. 
that's what's if without the pressure, I just don't know if you have those now bursts of genius and heart. Yeah. And when the chords move um, in a way that you've never never heard or never heard that way, you know, all those genius things, um, I think you're absolutely right that he had to watch other people having the youth that he didn't get to have. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I don't mean to put this on him, but because we're guessing. Yeah. Like, don't think it's a huge leap now now um, he clearly was a, a regular guy in many many ways in terms of wanting and desiring and yeah so, so um yeah yeah in in some ways i was very close and i think there were a couple other things between um into the woods and uh huh. and the sound festival but even being asked into the sound festival was wonderful yeah i mean in a way that was kind of the moment when he was transforming from uh the esoteric uh i forget the word you used but you know the kind of fringy like nerd musical theater cult thing to the kind of unequivocal master just hands yeah. down everybody agrees you know right i think everybody there thought um it was a nexus in a lot yeah. of ways of, of great young performers. Um, it's fun to be in that kitchen on the Gilded Age with Cerverus. You know, we're stuck yeah. there. It's so funny. Um, and to be in the nation's capital, it, it was just what, what Eric did Yeah, was a, a pretty remarkable thing. Um and I think your observation is astute and right. I think that was the a real shift took place then. Um, and he was, you know, eminence grease after that. Totally. I mean, that because that was also the same time period where there was like that New York Times thing with like all the songs he wishes he wrote and his favorite songs of his and and Barbara Cook. And the, there was the Library of Congress and the... Um, the New York Philharmonic was doing Sweeney Todd and there was the um, it was just a lot all at the same time that was all kind of like above the level of just like a Broadway show, but just mission. Right. right. The establishment, the the institutions which are sort of our establishment were joining his work to themselves and mm. they're sort of elevating him. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for this, Doug. This is really wonderful. I, 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 I had, I almost given up hope that I'd get to talk to you. And our, our wonderful mutual friend said, "Oh, you got to talk to Doug Sills. We'll make this happen." Sure, no problem. Um, I admire people like you that, uh, you know, invest time and energy and their thought process into the art form and and elevate it in the same way. Um, so I was happy to be asked. I wish I, <clears throat> I wish I could remember more. But like I told you, I'm sure you've heard wonderful things from the others from our show that you did get to talk to them. And I think, I don't know, I, th I mentioned Jonathan Hadley, right? I think Jonathan. Yeah, talk to him. Yeah, I'm trying to get to Cleo Lane, actually. That's who I really want to talk to next. I. I. I could stop recording. <laughs> Wait, hold on. 
Thank you for listening to Giants in the Sky, how Sondheim and Lapine went into the woods on the Broadway Podcast Network. Look out for episode 39 with Tracy Katz Palladini, Little Red on the National Tour. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.